Hey, before we get started, I want to remind you that Truce is listener-supported. If you want to be a part of this one-of-a-kind show that asks big questions in an approachable way, become a patron. For just $5 a month, you can help me tell big stories like this upcoming season on the history of fundamentalism. And you'll get access to bonus materials. That's all at patreon.com slash trucepodcast. That's patreon.com slash trucepodcast. All right, so my friends uh, once again put together a get-together, and we're supposed to play games, and instead of just playing cards or Uno, we're going to talk about Ponzi schemes. You got a dollar, right? Yes. How many quarters is that? Four quarters. Four quarters. Okay. You used to work at a bank. Well, you still work at a bank. What is the interest rate on, like, a, a savings account, do you think? It's 0.10 annual percentage yield. 0.10. So if I invest $100, I'm getting 10 cents back. Correct. That's terrible. So if I got a deal for you. <laughs> putting money away in a savings account once seemed like a decent investment because you could get a return from the bank or interest. Now, that's 10 cents for every $100, and that can't possibly keep up with inflation. Lucky for my friends, I had a much better investment for them. At least, it seemed like a better investment. What if I could tell you, pal, that I could get you 50% interest on your money in not a year, like it would take you to get 10 cents back at the bank, but in 90 days? My interest would be peaked. Your interest, oh, you use those are play on words, and that's appreciated. Uh, so, okay, so here's what's going to happen. I, you've got a dollar. I need you to give me your dollar. And, and I'm, in 90 days, I can give you back $1.50. Can we do that? Done. Okay. So, next person in line, you know, I've got 90 days. I just need to find somebody else in line. Can, would you like to be a part of this deal? I can give you 50% back on your money. Sure. Okay. We got that. So here's the deal. I've got somebody else's money, and I haven't really done a whole lot of work. What I can do is 90 days later, I can come back with your original dollar. Feeling good. And 50 cents from the next person in line. So you've just got 50% return on your investment, right? Yeah. I need to pocket. I'm going to take a quarter for myself. I've only got 25, 25 cents left. So to give the second person in line more money, what I need to do is recruit more people into the scheme. Because I owed the second person in line, the second tier, their money, plus interest. So how much money do I owe you? $1.50. I owed him $1.50 and I only had 25 cents left since I took a profit for myself. I could recruit just one more person with their dollar, but then I'd still be short. I needed to get two more people on board. I want a 50% return if you got one. Yeah, do you? I would also like 50%. Yes. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, who yeah, wouldn't want I'm 50% excited. in I'm, 90 I'm... days? So I'm going to take your money. Oh, here, here, have it. Right, and I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a quarter for myself because I've worked hard. I've got my new recruits, a fresh new third tier. Now I've got enough money to pay off the guy on the second tier. The trouble is, the clock is still ticking. I've got 90 days, and then I owe money to my two friends. How much money do I owe between the two of you? Three dollars. Three dollars that I didn't have. Which means I had to recruit at least three new people into this scheme. You want to be in this? Right. Yes. Okay, and you want to be in this? Absolutely. So I paid off my friends on the third tier, but now I owe money to a fourth tier. 450. 
$4? Where am I going to get $4.50? The more people who play the game, the more I have to recruit. Even though this party was well attended, I was out of people. No new recruits meant no new money. The fourth tier people in this, I don't have your money. So the problem is, you are all stuck. You're out of your money because there's nobody else here to play our game. My friends, my faithful, happy friends, lost their money. All of it. There was nothing left to give them. That's the problem with this scheme. Now, in a proper scheme, I wouldn't have been so quick to give them back their initial dollar. I would have kept it in the fund so I didn't get as close to bottoming out as fast as I did. But you get the picture. This game we played, this crazy, impossible way to make money and lose it, has a name. It's called a Ponzi scheme. Ponzi is not some made-up word for this phenomenon. The term comes from a man named Charles Ponzi. Charles Ponzi was this guy in the 1920s who ran a postage stamp scam in New England. Charles Ponzi promised people that he could get them a 50% return on their investment in just 90 days. Three months. As with most things that sound too good to be true, there's a catch. It just isn't visible to the consumer. The secret, as you now know, is that this thing can only keep going if I've got more and more people putting money into the pot. Ponzi wasn't taking investors' money and putting it into some hot new stock that happened to go up. No, he was just taking money from one investor to pay another. As long as new money kept coming in forever, this thing could keep going. But eventually, we run out of people. The people who get into the scheme last lose. Sometimes they lose big. Perhaps the most famous Ponzi scheme ever was uncovered in 2008. It was run by Bernie Madoff. The people at the end of the scheme, the people whose money got swallowed up, well, a lot of them had their money invested in retirement accounts and they were normal people who were now out of their investment. There were also a lot of famous clients as well, like Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick. We fall for something similar all the time. There are organizations who actively use the Christian gospel to pretend that they have the very best of intentions, making a profit off the helpless in the name of Jesus. Is it, is it very similar to a pyramid scheme? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> You're listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars to explore how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce. We're entering a multi-part series within a series. We've been talking about how influencers, people with cultural sway in our communities, are changing the way we do church. Now, we're going to apply what we've learned to the business world. And we're going to see how it's using the guise of Christianity to walk a legal and ethical tightrope. We're talking about multi-level marketing companies, or MLMs. They're also known as direct sales companies. First, we need to explain what is an MLM? Let's say that your friend Earl needs some soap. I need soap. Earl hops in the car and goes to the store. Actually, I prefer to ride my bike. 
Earl is eco-friendly, so he pedals to the store. I'll take your finest soap. They ring it up. Earl pays for it. Done. Now he's got the soap he needs. That's how most of us buy things. The MLM model, or direct sales, is different. Instead of Earl going to a brick-and-mortar store and purchasing what he needs when he needs it, the store comes to him. I threw this party today so you could try out all the most exciting soaps on the market. Sometimes in parties. Maybe through a work acquaintance who gives you a catalog. Your friends become the store, the salesperson who is trying to sell you soap, candles, essential oils, purses, whatever. That is direct sales in a nutshell. Ah, uh, I like this one the best. It smells like success. In this model, you give your money to your friend Earl, he sells you soap, and Earl gets a little cut of the profits. I'm saving up for a soap dish to hold all my soap. Earl has a quote-unquote business, and you've got a product. That's it. That's direct sales. There's another element to this. Not only is your friend selling you soap... This kind smells like fresh-cut grass. Earl can also recruit you to sell soap, too. Are you ready to make the best decision of your life? That's right. You, too, can get in on this exciting business deal. You can host parties in your home and drum up business and give catalogs to people in your workplace or your church, and they can buy soap from you. So Earl gets his friend Kelly to sign up and start selling. I invited you all here today so you could try out the most exciting soaps on the market. The business is spreading. Now, when Kelly makes a sale... One lavender-scented soap for you. She makes a little money, maybe if she can cover her costs. Thank you. And Earl gets a cut as well. And thank you. As does whoever recruited Earl and whoever recruited them, all the way up to the top, to the MLM itself. Proponents of this business model say that it works well for the consumer because you can buy these unique products. It's good for the distributor. That's me. Because now Earl can make some cash and start a business as an independent contractor, and the direct sales companies don't have the overhead of a brick-and-mortar store. Now Earl is not just motivated to sell you soap, but he's got an incentive to get you to sell soap yourself, because he gets a cut of the sales you make, and the sales of people you recruit. If Earl is playing the game right... I play to win. Then he knows the big money is in recruiting, not in selling. That is how direct sales work, pretty much. Someone at the top recruits two people below them, who in turn each recruit two more people, who then recruit more people, and so on. If you draw it out, it makes the shape of a triangle. The first distributor at the top, with all those other salespeople below them, funneling money up. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. 
God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Now that we know what MLMs look like, let's dive into what the critics say about them. Then, in our next episode, we'll talk about how they impact real people and then how they impact our witness. Our guide on this journey is Robert Fitzpatrick. He's the president of Pyramid Scheme Alert and the author of the new book, Ponzi-nomics, the untold history of multi-level marketing and how direct sales became an American swindle. He has some first-hand experience in this world. He's going to refer to MLMs and direct sales also as pyramid schemes. In case anyone wants to sue me, I'm not calling them that. He is. Well, I myself was uh, in, enrolled, uh, solicited uh, quite some years ago, almost 30 years ago, into a pyramid scheme. And it was a type of pyramid scheme that was not technically multi-level marketing, but it was uh, today they're called gifting schemes. Essentially, they're multi-level marketing schemes without a product. He told me that with an MLM or with a gifting scheme, the product isn't all that important because it isn't really sales that drive the company forward. It's recruitment. I know what you're thinking. How can I make money in a business if I don't actually sell anything? Well, in MLMs, the people under you have to pay sign-up fees and buy startup kits. Remember how Earl convinced Kelly to start selling soap? I'm the best there ever was, and you can be too. In a lot of MLMs, in order for me to start selling, I have to pay a membership fee. Maybe a website maintenance fee, a fee for catalogs, for business cards, all without getting a single product. No moisturizer, no detergent, no water purifier, nothing. Hundreds of dollars spent just to sign up, and Earl, that's me, gets a cut of that for every person he recruits. So sales are almost an afterthought. The game doesn't need sales to keep going. Just more people downstream. Remember, Earl recruited Kelly. Hi, y'all. I'm just so happy to be here sharing this exciting opportunity with you. Well, she's paid all this money to get into the soap business. And if she's going to host a party... We'll drink fruit punch and enjoy our goodie bags. Parties mean food, drinks, and doodads to go inside those goodie bags. This is adding up fast. Yes, it is. But you're not quite in business, Kelly. If you want to demonstrate the soap you're selling, then you need to buy products so the customers can try it out. And I'll need a variety of products to have on hand in case people want different scents. So Kelly buys a bunch of soaps to show off. She's now in the hole before she's really gotten started. Not to mention the time she may have missed from her paying job or the cost of a babysitter. And when she buys the samples... That's right, a little of that goes to good old Earl. That's if your company sells products. But remember, products are not required. Robert himself used to be part of an organization with no products. The scheme I was in had a story, a kind of metaphysical story about abundance and prosperity and people uh, sharing rather than competing with each other. Um, but in the end, it really involved putting your money in, soliciting others to put their money in, and getting some of the money that they put in, and they would do the same. A lot like our thing with the quarters from the beginning of the show, in what's called an endless chain. This was, uh, again, in the late 80s, and I was uh, lured into this uh, 
by friends, with friends, and so on. And when it collapsed, I, I was, uh, let's say, dumbfounded as to why I did not see it at the start and why so many people I knew fell into it and how it was able to seduce us all and sort of short circuit our basic values and take us into this realm of fraud uh, so willingly. So that led me into a period of research, which eventually led to writing a book. Which is called False Prophets. That's prophets spelled P-R-O-F-I-T-S. It's a play on words. That summarized my experience and, and offered some of the outlines of, of how pyramid schemes are uh, disguised as spiritual quests, uh, which is the scheme that I was in, was really disguised not as a Christian quest, but more as a new age or new thought, a prosperity thinking, uh, metaphysical quest for fulfillment, happiness, prosperity, and so on. So his experience was not with a Christian company? Well, it was quite appealing, uh, particularly in that era, and, and to me and to many people like me. It's a, it, it is ostensibly secular. That is, it's not really uh, pitched as a particular religion, but it in fact is a form of religion. In this religion, Prosperity and happiness are sort of the destiny uh, that are intended by the, quote, universe for everyone. And that people can achieve this by correct thinking, by aligning their thoughts and their intentions in a positive direction. And if they will do that, the universe will sort of cooperate and, and answer that. Uh, by good fortune. So even though his experience was with a secular model, you can kind of hear the prosperity gospel in there, can't you? If I live well, if I follow this plan, I'll be rewarded. Prosperity or wealth was presented as a kind of heaven on earth. And the way to achieve this metaphysically had to do with aligning your thoughts and your goals and your values in this positive direction. And the scheme was therefore presented merely as a pathway or as a, a mechanism for achieving, achieving that, uh, sort of as if it were a religious institution providing you with all you would need to reach your, you know, your heaven on earth. In Robert's experience, it was all good as long as they had that endless chain. The idea that there are always more people to recruit. This may sound very familiar. Remember how we started the show with the coins? Our Ponzi scheme worked so long as we had enough people. If there were more people putting money into the system. A Ponzi scheme and a pyramid scheme, remember, are essentially the same thing. Uh, that is, that a, an income, a reward is promised to you. First, you must pay something. You, you must put money in. And, and then a reward is promised to you uh, that is dependent on others coming into the same program as you are in. Your income reward will ultimately come from their money. And the money you put in will have been transferred to the people who got in before you. So it's a closed market. It's an internal money transfer. There's no external source of money, There's, uh, there may be references to businesses and sales and so on, but in fact, it, it is an internal closed money transfer scheme. Robert said something really important here about something called a closed market. 
In a pyramid scheme, the money does not come from outside the pyramid. It comes from within. Remember when Kelly signed up for the soap company? The soap feels like chalk. Kelly had to buy a startup pack before she was ever able to sell anything. And she had all of those hidden fees like business cards and a website fee. My credit card started smoking. Kelly is on the third tier with someone above her. That's Earl. When Kelly paid her dues and bought the startup pack and samples, her third tier money went to the second tier. And then the guy above Earl made money too without having to sell to someone outside the company. It came from inside the company, from distributors. That's why it's called a closed market. None of the sales come from outside. So Kelly can try to sell soap. Excuse me, sir, you smell bad. Would you like to buy some cardamom soap? But if she's gonna keep the Ponzi scheme going, she has to get people below her in a fourth tier. Otherwise, it's game over. In a Ponzi scheme, the person at the top, the Bernie Madoffs, the Charles Ponzi, or me with the quarters at the beginning of the show, is responsible for finding new recruits. I'm the guilty party because I'm the guy who put this thing together. However, in a pyramid scheme, Robert says, the onus is on the recruits. Once you join, it's up to you to go find the new people who will ultimately provide you with the rewards that have been promised. They will have to do the same. So the responsibility for finding new recruits shifts from the perpetrator, the top perpetrator, to the victims themselves, making the victims also perpetrators. In our example, Earl and Kelly, because they're recruiting new people, even though they don't have any malice in their hearts, they're spreading this thing. And Kelly needs to. Otherwise, how am I gonna make up for all the party favors and samples? She's in the hole now. And the only way out is to keep digging. That's the secret of a closed market. But Kelly lives in a small town. There are only a few thousand people. Um, how many people would a person actually need to begin making money? You don't need just need one, you need many. And so it, it, the people you would choose would tend to be your friends, your relatives. The problem is that th those people, once they're in, their networks are gonna cross over into your networks, right? Many, many of your friends, uh, their friends are the same as your friends. So very quickly, the, the available people that you might be told all you have to do is go get a few friends in, um, they can't find any other new friends because you've already got them or you can't find any because they've got them. And in total, there's only a, a small number of people in that town that would ever be interested or qualified to join. So very quickly, you run out of truly available prospects for this. That's the hard reality of this system. You're limited to the number of people you know. And if your friends have the same friends as you, there's going to be a lot of overlap. How do you find new customers and distributors if you're in a limited area? The people I spoke to for background on this episode often had to travel, some of them across state lines, in order to find more and more distributors to reach into other spheres of influence. Not everyone can do that. Kelly, in order to pay back her expenses for starting her business, may have to do some serious legwork. A closed market 
is one in which the only the only source of money is supplied by the people who are actually in this in the scheme itself. In multi-level marketing and in Ponzi schemes, there's no external market or very little. If you look at typically multi-level marketing companies such as Amway or Herbalife, what you'll discover is that the only people buying the product, for the most part, are the people in the scheme themselves. They are the so-called salespeople, but they actually have no real customers. The way they make money is by getting other people to become salespeople, and they will then are promised to receive some of the money that those new people put in. But everybody in it is, in fact, part of the scheme. According to Robert's research, top-level distributors at Amway charge that only about 5% of products are retailed. In other words, only about 5% are going to actual customers. The rest of the products stop with people like Earl or Kelly. 95% of products are bought by distributors. Amway itself claimed that the number was closer to 18%. To put it another way, according to Amway's numbers, 82% of their products were bought wholesale by distributors. People like Kelly or Earl who bought the products. Of course, some people buy the product because they want to. I have a coworker who signed up for an MLM so that they could buy products at wholesale instead of paying retail. This person still sells a little, but is not trying to make money on the deal. There are people like that, of course, but there are also people who end up with garages full of products they can't sell, or who don't know enough people to make a viable business. According to the Federal Trade Commission, or the FTC, and this is an actual number, over 99% of people who sign up to sell for an MLM lose money. For every person who makes money, there are 99 who do not. That's 99. To contrast that, the odds of winning at blackjack in a casino are just under 50%. Same with craps and roulette if you bet on a color instead of a number. Not that casinos are a good investment, but statistically, they're a better one. This is, of course, a show about the Christian church how we got here and how we can do better. So what does this have to do with us? We're going to be looking into the subject more in detail in coming episodes. For now though, I want you to consider why people of faith, not just Christians, would be valuable to something like an MLM. We go to churches. Our spheres of influence can be pretty big. We can take this stuff into our Bible studies, mommy and me groups, retreats, and leadership classes. We tend to trust each other. The trouble is, if I get you involved in selling an MLM through our small group, you're going to equate your decision with God. This new business could be tied up in your understanding of Jesus and what the church should be. What happens if you're one of the 99% of people who loses money on the deal? How will that impact your faith? your sense of trust for other Christians. If you fail, if you lose money, as you are statistically very likely to do, how will you see that failure? Remember, as we discussed in a recent episode, failure can be used as a weapon in the Christian world. 
we sometimes wrongfully equate financial gain with God's blessing. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. If I fail at an MLM, I may question whether or not God loves me, even though it is statistically almost guaranteed that I'm going to fail. When we tie this stuff to our faith, we are rolling the dice. And we're not just playing for money, we're gambling with our witness and with the salvation of others. More on that in our next episode. Special thanks to Robert Fitzpatrick of Pyramid Scheme Alert. You can find links to his new book, Ponzinomics, which I'm really excited for, at pyramidschemealert.org. We'll also have links to it on our website at trucepodcast.com. There, you can learn about my films Bringing Up Bobby and Between the Walls, which are on Amazon Prime and Pure Flix. You can also find links to my novel, Cradle Robber. This show is listener-supported, so please consider helping out via GoFundMe, Patreon, or sending a good old-fashioned check. Thanks to all of the voice actors who helped out today and my friends who joined in on the Ponzi scheme example. I've been interested in MLMs for a long time, and the best resource I have found is an amazing podcast called The Dream. Season 1 was all about MLMs. I can't recommend it enough, though there is some strong language. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce.